The Amazing Race. I wanted to just kind of bring some of that in today. Let me get the lights. Let me get those lights on. There we go. I feel like I'm in the dark until right now. Just there, there. Now I can see you. Every four years or so, not or so, but every four years, there's a worldwide event called the Summer Olympic Games. And this summer, the Olympic Games are held in uh, Brazil. How many of you have been following some of them? Good. Yeah, the Olympic Games. The games are about a lot of different things. They're about fame, they're about glory, they're about medals, and they're about money. But mainly, the Olympic Games are about competition and winning. The Olympics are high drama with great stories of, of wins and defeats. Judy and I were able to watch some of our USA athletes compete in the Olympic trials, getting ready, the track and field and women's gymnastics. And, and it's just high drama just to get to the Olympics. And then the last two nights, we watched the opening ceremonies and the first parts of the events. In fact, when, we, when I went to bed last night, I'd been watching some of those close swimming races and it was all tense. It took me a couple hours to kind of unwind and, and relax from the great races that were happening. Well, in past Olympic competition, and in what I'm sure will play out this time in this uh, competition of the games, we're able to watch the finish lines, the, the final scores. We look at the point totals and, and the looks on the competitors' faces as they learn the final results. And the reactions are absolutely amazing. After years of sacrifice, hard work, and discipline, we see this incredible joy on the faces as, as they learn that they won. They won the gold. Later, as we watch the winners on the awards stand, and they're, they're playing their national anthem, and the, the flag is being raised, and as you look at the picture on their face, you see a different set of emotions in play. You see the joy, yes. You see this, this ecstasy on their faces, yes. But it seems to be a more reflective, a, a looking back as they, they think about the journey that brought them to this place. All that they had to go through to get there at that point in time. Now they're standing with a gold medal around the neck, the best in the world. Today we're going to look at a competition of sorts, a race, a race. But the, the stakes in this race are far higher than fame or glory, endorsement contracts, money, or even a gold medal. This race is for the eternal gold and has to do with our eternal destiny, much more important than a gold medal. I'd like you to turn with me, if you would, to Hebrews 12. Hebrews, the 12th chapter, is page 975 in the Bible in front of you on the rack. If you want to follow there, or you can follow on the screen as well. Hebrews, the 12th chapter, just first two verses, talk about the amazing race. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now I want you to imagine this morning, imagine that every person in this room has is dressed in like nylon running shorts, okay? There's a little, not a very pretty picture, I know. We're just kind of saying, whoa, I don't know if I want to see that. 
But then imagine that now all of us are at a, at a starting gate, starting line, standing together, and the gun goes off and we start running, okay? We start running. We take off on this race all together, and you feel great for the first 100 feet, 100 yards, maybe 100 yards. You're, you feel strong, your legs are working well, life is good, you're moving together, everybody's together. Then somewhere along the line in this race, you get tired and you start slowing down, your legs start feeling heavy and your side aches and some people just drop out altogether. And people will say, you know, I had a great start, but it's, it's not fun anymore, so I'm just, gonna, I'm just gonna quit the race. Well, we all started at some point, if we know Jesus, on a faith journey. And most of us got off to a fast start, but as someone who has walked with God for over 50 years now, I can tell you the Christian life is not a 100-yard dash. It's not a 100-yard dash. It's a long race. It's a, it's a marathon. It's like an Ironman that, that goes and extends over time. And we get tired. We get tired. And I want to take a few minutes this morning to look at what it takes to sustain our race over the long haul. This, this amazing race that we're in. Now, the, the writer of Hebrews is writing to a group of Christians, people who got off to a really good, fast start when they followed Jesus. But times had gotten tough, just like for you and me. Times get tough. And these words were given to them and to us to help us understand how to sustain a healthy longevity in our faith journey, in our walk with Jesus, or in this race that we're called to run. Five encouraging guidelines, five guidelines. Number one, I will find strength from those who have gone before. In the New Living Translation, it says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith. When the Olympic athletes arrive at the opening ceremonies, particularly, they're keenly aware of the prestigious company they are in. They have studied the, the people that have gone before them. They're aware of the past greats, the, the Jesse Owens or the Jim Thorpes, the Mark Spitzes or the Nadia Comaneci, Mary Lou Renton, Michael Johnson, Greg Luganis, Michael Phelps, Gabby Douglas. You can name all of these people over the years. Some of you don't know who those were. You've known the last few years. But many, many years, all of these greats, they're very aware if they're competing in the Olympics. Who went before them? They know. And they arrive at the Olympic Games and they realize who preceded them. They know many of their stories, what made them great, what they accomplished, and what obstacles they overcame to get there. There's this whole narrative, this story, and, and they could probably tell you who inspired them in their journey to the Olympics. Well, if we go back to chapter 11, we find uh, a narrative that talks about who came before these Hebrews. It was a list of the all-star team of Christian. It's kind of, kind of like a who's who. And when we go back and we read Hebrews 11, that some of the names are familiar to us, but some are not very, very familiar. But the one thing they had in common is that they had this uncompromising belief and faith in God. Some were ridiculed for their beliefs, some were mistreated, some gave their lives. But the one thing they had in common is they ran the race of faith, they ran it, and they never gave up. They finished well. Now, when it says you're surrounded by these testifiers, I picture it as walking into the Olympic Stadium with all of these people in the grandstand. And this picture, being surrounded by a cloud of witnesses, is as if all the people that have gone before in faith are in this grandstand 
watching what's happening. And I don't know if they can literally see what's happening, but they are called testifiers, testifiers. The word testify means a witness. And a, a witness in a court of law is someone who testifies what they've seen, heard, or experienced. In other words, the people that are witnessing this are people who've been there. They've done it. They're not armchair quarterbacks who sit around on Monday morning second-guessing Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson. Okay? These are people that are telling us from their own experience that in God's strength, you can go through what you're going through, and you can not only survive, but you can thrive. You can finish the race well. These are people who have actually played. They've been there. They've done it. And like Olympic athletes, we are in tremendous company with all of these witnesses, these testifiers to say this is what God can do. So, and we find strength from those who've gone before. We find inspiration. And it's important that we understand that and find inspiration from those that have gone before. The secondly... The second encouragement says, I will put off that which holds me back. The New Living Translation says, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily hinders our progress. Now, in most athletic competition, excess weight is not good, okay? Unless you're a football lineman or a sumo wrestler, then it's okay. But for most athletic competition, you don't want any excess weight. Excess weight is not, not good. There's a story told of a man in London who participated in the London Marathon, and it, history records that it was the slowest marathon ever, ever. His name was Lloyd Scott, and he finished the marathon in five days, eight hours, 29 minutes, and 46 seconds. Now, unlike other runners who were in nylon shorts and running shoes and tank top, he was wearing a diver's suit with a full metal helmet. You've seen those. Of course, he did it as a fundraiser, as a fundraiser. And, and I thought about that as, as I think about the race we're in. Sometimes that's a picture of our Christian life. Some of us try to run that marathon or run that race weighted down with all kinds of things, all kinds of things. Instead of being free to run and not have all that. In fact, the original Olympic athletes ran Literally, many of them ran nude because they didn't want to have any weights holding them down. And many times, we're just weighted down. Now, the verse says there are two things that hold us back, and these are, these are things that, that, that weigh us down in running this race. And there are two actions we must take. The first one is let go of the unnecessary. Let go of the unnecessary, or let go of garbage. How many of you collect garbage? Anybody collect garbage? Okay, I'm, I'm asking, now I'll ask the spouse, how many of you have, have a wife or son or daughter or somebody else in your family that neighbor connects garbage, whatever, okay. That's why we have garbage sales to, they're actually garage sales, I call them garbage sales, we, to get, deliver us from garbage. It's basically to deliver us from the unnecessary. And I, if you have neighborhood garage sales, then usually what happens is you all come together and you exchange junk. That's, that's what happens. Every, every, every neighborhood we've then, you say, oh, I need one of those. And, you know, and we're going, oh, man, you know, no, we don't. But it's to deliver us from the unnecessary. And when he's talking about the unnecessary, he, this passage isn't necessarily talking about things that are wrong or sinful. It may not be moral compromise, but maybe that our lives are so full of stuff, so full of things that we don't have the energy left to pursue a relationship with God. The good sometimes gets in the way of the best. 
And it's not my agenda, but God's agenda. Not my priorities, but God's priorities. And some valiantly try to run this race with this diver's suit on, with all this unnecessary stuff, and wonder why it's so difficult and you can't get ahead. It might be a possession. It might be priorities. It might be an activity. It could be a past hurt or unforgiveness. And he says to them, let go of the unnecessary. There's a race to, to run and win. Let go of the unnecessary. Secondly, he says, put off means to let go of the ungodly. And, and here are sins that entangle us. It's kind of like when you think of an octopus that wraps its tentacles around you. That's the picture this get, you get from this sin that entangles us. He says, these are sins that are common to all of us, but there are also certain sins that are unique to each of us. And those kinds of sins will hold us back. They'll entangle us. They'll trip us up. Whether that's anger or resentment or unforgiveness, feeling unappreciated or unloved, gossip, materialism, lust or pornography, envy, no matter what sin it is, every one of us have certain besetting sins that try to entangle us and trip us up. And it's unique to every one of us. And he says, let it go, strip it off. It's an action we take by God's power. It requires a decision and requires an action. Anything that keeps us from running well and finishing well, he said, strip it off. Get rid of it. Everyone wants to win. Everyone wants to be a winner. But how many of us will take a ruthlessly honest look at our lives to see what's holding us back? A goal, a passion, a possession, a person, a priority. There's no room for passivity, activity. He's saying, strip it off. The third encouragement, I will run my race to the finish line. And let us run with endurance the race that God has put before us. Ah, the finish line, the finish line. When my daughters were in high school, they competed in track as well as soccer and basketball and innumerable other activities. And I volunteered at track meets. One of the things that I did was I served as a timer. And one race I will never forget. There were many, many races. But one race I'll never forget. It was the men's 800-meter run, twice around the track. And there were two heats or two groups with the top eight finishers to go to districts and potentially to state. And one of our runners thinking that the top four finishers from the first heat would go on and the top four finishers from the second heat would go on, he mistakenly slowed up because he was in fifth place. What he didn't realize, it was the top eight times, not the top eight finishers. And since he was fifth, in fifth place, he slowed down, pulled up, and he lost by a half a second. He should have gone on to districts and state. He, slowed, he didn't finish well. He didn't run through that. He stopped. He pulled up. And you see that happen in our lives, too. We stop. And God calls on us to run through it with enthusiasm and exuberance and run all out, stretch out, finish well. Now, there are two qualifiers about this finishing well, about this race and the finish. First of all, the first one, it says, it's a course marked out for you. A course marked out for you. Now, every race has a course. Um, those of you who, who run track know that, it, that you just, 
you're not going to get lost because they just go around the track, okay? You, you may lose track of what lap it is, but they give you the bell at the last track. So you know it's the last, last lap, okay? That's okay. But if you ran cross-country, you can take a wrong turn and get lost, and, and, and you can lose the race just because you took the wrong track. Every course is different, and in our life, every course is different. But you are to run the course set for you. The course set for you. Each of us has a specific course marked out for us. Our courses are all different. Some are relatively straight. Some have a lot of turns. Some seem like they're all uphill. Some it's like a flat hiking path. All are long. Some are longer than others. But each of us can finish the course marked out for us. Now, the Bible doesn't say, I want you to run the course that was marked out for Billy Graham. Or, or for John Wesley or for Martin Luther. You're not called to run the course set for your wife or your husband or your father or your mother, your cousin, aunt, or grandparent. You're to run the race set out for you. And it's unique to you. Now, that keeps us from a couple things. Number one, it keeps us from discouragement because we look at other people and say, wow, I, I couldn't run like that. Well, that's, that's their course. You're running this course. It also keeps us from spiritual pride which is the opposite side of that, where you say, well, I'm doing far better than that person, so I, I must, no, you're running your race, they're running their race, don't compare. Or judging other people and say, I can't believe they're going so slow when I'm going so fast, okay? They're, it keeps us from discouragement, spiritual pride, or judgment. It says, run the race that is marked for you to the finish line. Secondly, run it with perseverance, all the way to the finish, all throughout history, we find that greatness has been defined by the ability to persevere and overcome obstacles. Perseverance and overcoming obstacles. And if we took time to tell stories today, we'd hear many of you tell stories about how you persevered and overcame obstacles to get to the next level, to get to the finish line, or to finish something to get to that. There was a, there's some examples of people throughout history that had to persevere to get to the finish line against odds of all kinds. There was a memo that came from MGM shortly after Fred Astaire, some of you know who Fred Astaire is, took his, he took his first screen test. And this memo said, can't act, slightly bald, can dance a little. Okay. Someone once said of Vince Lombardi, everybody knows who that is, he possesses minimal football knowledge. The parents of Enrico Caruso believed his teacher who said, he has no voice at all, he just cannot sing. One of the greatest singers, opera singers of all time. Walt Disney was once fired by a newspaper for lack of ideas, <laughs> if you can believe it. Thomas Edison's teachers gave up on him and here was their evaluation, quote, he is too stupid to accomplish anything. Thomas Edison, okay. One day the light bulb came on. I don't know, whatever. <laughs> Henry, Henry Ford, before he succeeded, failed and went broke five times. Beethoven handled the violin awkwardly and his teacher called him hopeless as a composer. Albert Einstein performed so badly in high school courses, except mathematics, that his teachers encouraged his parents to pull him out of school. True stories. In the race of life, God is far more interested in how we finish than how we begin. And he calls us to run with perseverance to 
the finish line. Number four, I will keep my eyes on the goal. It says, fix your eyes on Jesus. Philippians 3, it says, what is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. Every athlete has to have a goal. There has to be a goal. For the runner, it's the finish line, reaching the finish line. The gymnast, it's <clears throat> perfection, getting the highest score. A football player, there's a goal line. You look at all of the parts of athletics, and there's always a goal. Our goal is Jesus Christ. Is Jesus Christ. It's keep our eyes on Jesus. It's fix our eyes. Now, if you've played basketball, if you've played point guard in basketball, if you're dribbling down the court, you can't look at the ball and you can't look at your opponent. If you do that, you'll miss the play setup, you'll miss the cutter, you'll miss the offense, you'll miss everything. You can't look at the ball. You have to keep your eyes up. You have to keep your eyes up. And when it talks about fixing your eyes, it says, fix your eyes on Jesus. We have so many things that distract us. One of the keys to us coming together on Sundays is to fix our eyes on Jesus. We have so many things that we get distracted by. So we come in here from every kind of imaginable situation and we come in here and say, we're here to worship Jesus. We're here to focus, to, to, to worship him and focus on him and believe that he is here by his spirit in our presence. We're here to fix our eyes on Jesus. Our whole goal of life is to fix our eyes on Jesus, to look to Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is the pioneer of our faith. He's the one that started it all. Jesus was present at, at the creation. Jesus was present when Adam and Eve sinned. Jesus was present after the sin, during the first act of grace and forgiveness, the acceptance of the blood animal, blood for the sins of people. Jesus went before Israel out of Egypt and all throughout history, Jesus became a human being, he lived, died, and was resurrected. Jesus made possible our personal faith by the restoration of our relationship with God the Father. Jesus was and is God in such a way that he was never known before, and Jesus gave us access, personal access, to God the Father. Jesus, the pioneer of our personal faith. When it talks about he was the, and we're to fix our eyes on Jesus, who was the pioneer. Jesus is also the perfecter of our faith. The perfecter, Hebrews 2.10, and this is a little bit harder to understand, says, in bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the author of this salvation perfect through suffering. Jesus suffered the cross. When it talks about the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand. He endured adversity suffering. Now, how do we relate to that? Other than you just had a bad week, okay? Suffering and adversity. How does an athlete get better? How does an athlete get better? There's no gain without pain. You've heard that? There's no gain without pain. Stretching oneself, pushing the limits, and Jesus, through suffering, and people, through suffering and adversity, are perfected, are perfected. We're improved. Now, how do you know, how do you know your faith works? How do you know your faith works? What good is our faith if it's never been tried, never been exercised, never been tested? I have a friend named Ryan who is a, 
who works on Boeing airplanes. He's a, he's a weight, a wing weight engineer, okay? They have all these specialties. He's, he's what they call a weight engineer. And what they do is they test the wings, okay? And I'm glad, when I go flying, I'm glad that they've tested those wings to see how much they can hold. And you know how they test them? They stretch them out and they bend them. They put more and more, more and more weight on it until it breaks. And then they know. That's how much weight a wing will take. And that's kind of what happens to us. That it, how strong is your faith? Now, God isn't going to probably push us till we break. But he will push our faith so we can discover our faith and how strong it is. He will make us exercise it. Does our faith work? That's part of the perfecting process. So keep our eyes on the goal, Jesus. And fifthly, I will keep the prize always in view. Talks about the joy set before him. Now what is the prize? First of all, it's joy at the end. Joy at the end. Now, some of you know the empty feeling of beating your opponent by 30 points or, or by 10 runs or nine zip in soccer or you name it. You, it it's, it's like an empty, empty thing. It was an easy victory. It's no big reward when it was an easy battle. I coached my younger daughter's soccer team, and the toughest game I ever coached was one that we were not supposed to win. In fact, it wasn't even supposed to be close. We were down 1-0 most of the game and fought it long and hard. And in the final 60 seconds of the game, as the clock was running out, we scored. We tied the game. And the game ended in a tie, 1-1. to And that tie was incredibly tough. But to us, a tie was a win. We weren't supposed to win. The girls on the opposing team were crying because they tied. We were celebrating because we tied. Big contrast. We were celebrating and shouting for joy because we tied a very, very tough game. The joy is much sweeter after a difficult, challenging game. A hard-fought victory. Well, Jesus saw that joy. We can see it. So what is the prize? What is the prize? It says, I want you to win the eternal goal. Jesus sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Verse 2. In the Olympics, there are three medal winners for each event. Three medal winners. Only three. Only three. There's the gold, the silver, and the bronze. But the only one we remember is the gold medal winner. Who won the silver medal against Michael Phelps in London in the 100-meter freestyle? Who won the silver? Okay. Who won the silver against Greg Luganis in the diving competition 16 years ago? Who won the silver medal against Michael Johnson in the 200 and 400-meter? Who won the silver medal against Nadia Comaneci, Mary Lou Renton, or four years ago, Gabby Douglas? We don't remember. 1 Corinthians 9.24 says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way to get the prize. Run to win. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you use illustrations that we understand. And I pray that you 
would work in each of our lives, Lord, as we're called to run this amazing race. Father, there are people that are tired, that are weary. There are people that are being tried beyond there. I pray that you will give us that power to, to fix our eyes on you, Jesus. And that, Jesus, you would move on our behalf. And as we run this race, you give us the endurance, the ability to keep going, to be able to finish well, and that in everything that's done, you'd be glorified. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.